0: There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way Well, hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tougher, even if they don't, today is February the 8th, 2022. And this is episode 3033 of the Survival Podcast, and it's a Just Jack show today. The title of today's episode, if you didn't notice it when you downloaded it in the feed or what have you, is There Is No Left Versus Right, Only Liberty Versus Tyranny. And I think that most people that saw that title probably thought we're going to talk all about the covades today. and stuff. We're going to, It gets mentioned just because it's so omnipresent in our lives right now. It has nothing to do with that. This has to do with what you were taught the political spectrum was when you were in school and how it's an illusion. And as long as you believe an illusion is reality, it can control you. And this is about freeing your mind today and understanding what you believe, what you actually believe when you make statements. And it's not, I I tried so hard today to make sure that it was understood. And I think it's hard for people to accept that you're genuine when you say this. I'm not judging your stance today. Because sometimes to really explain something, you have to take a neutral position, even if you don't have one. I have a very specific position on this question of tyranny versus liberty. I believe in 100% liberty. I believe in all liberty. I believe in voluntarism. I believe that all actions between consenting adults should be voluntary 100%, which means you can't have tax, and if you can't have tax, you can't have what we think of in the modern construct as a state. I'm leaving it open to you today to tell me I'm wrong. I'll even say maybe I'm wrong several times today about that so that you can clearly evaluate your own beliefs, so that you can have the illusion come crashing to the ground so that you can see the glitch in the matrix. And maybe eventually you can become part of the glitch in the matrix. That's what we're going to talk about today. Before we do, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day, number one today, is the Wealth Steading Podcast with John Pugliano. We're going to talk about the fact that people will pay for what they're willing to pay for today. That if they value something, they're willing to tender consideration for it. And if they don't, they're not. That also requires though that you actually have the money to buy the things that you want and you need. And if you're going to have those late in life, you need to do smart investing along the way so that when you can't just produce it from labor anymore, there's enough left for you to do really well for the rest of your life and leave something behind in your heirs. That's true wealth building, or as John calls it, Wealth John does a great podcast on this, and he's an amazing investment manager. You can learn more about him and all the stuff that he does and get his free podcast at wealthsteading.com. Next up today, Start9 embassy servers. I am so fortunate in feeling that I found out about Start9 because they asked to be on the show is originally how this happened. I had them on. I interviewed them. I have my own Start9 server that I run right here. I'm putting my hand on it right now. It's right behind me on my desk. There's so much you can do to ensure your privacy and security with a Start9 server. Once you have it set up, you can access it securely from anywhere in the world. You can have private communications with anybody through your own server-driven, private, fully encrypted chat. Let's go ahead and see you decrypt that NSA like you got time. We're going to talk about the overreach of the state today, the overreach of the oligarchy as well, how the two work together in neo-fascism. Well, one of the biggest ways they do that is through surveillance. And when you start talking about surveillance, they get edgy. They don't like it. Well, rather than bitch about surveillance, I think you should do something about it. And if you get over to Start9.com, you'll see what you can do. And if you're an MSB member, you get a discount from Start9 that is so big Anything you buy from them, if you buy the most bare-bones uh, kit they have, it'll pretty much cover your entire MSB for a year, and if you buy one of their full put-together kits, it'll pay for your MSB for multiple years. I'm very grateful to have met them, and I'm very grateful to have their product, and I am very grateful to have them as a sponsor. Check them out today, start With that, let's go ahead and drop in on the live feed for today's episode. And we are live. Welcome, folks, to today's episode of the Survival Podcast. I believe it's... Uh Thirty thirty three, if I remember right, and it is. And we're going to talk today about the concept that the only real choice is ty- uh, tyranny versus liberty. That there, there really is no left and right. And I know right out of the gate, there's probably a lot of you that are like, are you crazy? Are you mad? Have you lost your mind, Jack? Have you not paid attention to the march of the left? I've paid attention to the march of the group of people referred to as the left. And I've pr- I paid a lot of attention to the march of tyranny uh, of the people that are uh, proposed to be on the right as well. And I'm not really fond of either of them. There's certainly things about the left that right now I despise and deplore more than the people that we call on the right. It does not mean that the left and right are actually constructs that make any sense. They don't. And I'm going to I'm going to try to destroy that illusion for you today. That's my goal actually today is to destroy the illusion of left and right thinking and to get you to focus on only two concepts, liberty and tyranny. And you may not agree with me in my absolute stance that we should stand up 100% for absolute liberty. You may still be afraid of absolute liberty. You may have... Uh, falling on the the thing that so many libertarians fall on. If you consider yourself a libertarian, I, I can't go all the way to this idea of voluntarism or a scary word like anarchy because I can't figure out how it would work. That's really not the issue. That's really not the issue. The issue is a moral issue. But I want to start out with something... A little bit different before we get into deconstructing the political spectrum that they taught you when you were a little kid in school and your mind was all malleable and formable and subject to indoctrination and programming. Um, I want to start out with how yesterday, somebody that commented uh, on the video from yesterday's stream, is uh, a a perfect introduction to this. And I'm not really picking on the guy, Who, who knows, maybe he had a bad day, maybe he forgot that text is the lowest form of communications or what have you, but it is... A perfect on-ramp. So let's use it. So a, a feller named James yesterday commented after the video was done, Jack, you need timestamps, stamps, my dude. And I said, not going to happen, my dude. Do you want me to come to your house and press play for you as well? Meaning, like, I just don't have time to do anymore. And I really believe that if this guy was sitting across from me in a bar and we were having a beer and I had said that, he would have got the fact that I was basically saying, come on, man. Look, I only have so many hours in a day to do shit. And he injected himself into another conversation about it, where I explained it more completely, which I'll do for you in a second. But he got really upset, and he went on a tirade of things about how upset he was. And I responded to them, and that made him more upset. But here's why I won't do it. Here's why I'm not going to start putting timestamps into the videos that I'm doing when I do these kind of segmented videos like yesterday. Today, I don't know that we would really want that anyway, even if we wanted it. But like on my Outback with Jack days, we're going through different bullets. And I can see how somebody might want to jump ahead to where I talk about Bitcoin or something like that. The question is how how much do they actually want it? How much value does it actually bring? So what I explained is a long, long time ago when TSP was really starting to come into its own, and we were growing really fast we were nowhere near as big as we are with audio downloads now, but we were getting 20,000, 30,000 audio downloads a day. That's a successful podcast. I was full-time by the time we were there, so I was already earning my living off the show by the time we were there. You can earn a, you can earn a living with a podcast if you know what you're doing, you structure your business right. Uh, you can earn a good living at 30,000 listeners. You really can. Um, but somebody suggested this, and we weren't really doing YouTube videos at the time. This is a very new phenomenon if you're new to the show, us doing live stream videos. And so somebody suggested it, and somebody in the audience said, well, I'll take it on, I'll do it. And on the WordPress blog that you run a podcast on, you can put in timestamps, and someone can click that timestamp, and it will go straight to that part of the audio player. So I said, okay. And here we have a spammer that needs to go away, and Banhammer. Amazing how quickly they show up. So, um... No, it's not that James, (laughs) guys. It's different James. Anyway, (laughs) so... So this person said, well, I'll do it. And I was like, I don't like people working for free. So I set up a thing where that person um, could be tipped. And this is how you can tip the person doing it. This went on for months. And they were doing it consistently. Any show that really warranted being timestamped, they were doing it for. And then I asked them, well, how are you doing tip-wise? And they said, well, it doesn't really matter. I said, no, it, it, it absolutely matters. And they're like, "Well, oh, I made 10 bucks." And we we're about halfway through the month. I'm like, 10 bucks for this month? They said, no, since I started. So they went months of doing this work. Two to three shows a week. And they got tipped $10. Now, here's what that tells me. People that say they want this, like it? They'll certainly take it if it's there. Maybe they appreciate it. But in my opinion, they don't value it, right? They don't really value it. And I have a question for you guys in the chat right now. Are you willing to pay for something which you value? Now, I want to be clear about this. I wasn't looking at this from a standpoint of, if I'm providing this, you should pay me. Because I wasn't doing it. This person would have been happy to keep doing it in perpetuity until they got pissed off and left, honestly. Sooner or later, you do start to realize nobody's valuing what you're doing. I just looked at it and said, clearly this is not as important to people as they say that it is. And the way it works as an on-ramp to what we're talking about today with what people expect government to do on their behalf is I personally believe that people will pay for what they value. I really do. And I think if, if that wasn't true, then I wouldn't have a successful business, right? People join my MSB for two reasons. They appreciate the content that I put out. And they appreciate the discounts that the MSB affords them. I mean, if you're going to buy CBD products, for instance, I, I, I can't even imagine that you wouldn't be an MSB member. If you hated my guts, some of the discounts I have on, on certain CBD products are so good that you could, you know, bite your teeth, join during a sale, and get that discount, and it's worth staying a member just to keep that discount, right? or if you value what I do. So I know that people value what I do. The fact that you take your time to be here on a live stream tells me you value what I do. You wouldn't waste your time being here if you didn't. And it doesn't mean I'm entitled to anything. What it means is if I keep doing what I do and enough people value what I do, I can make a living doing it. And that is true throughout the free market or what's what's there of the free market because we don't have a true free market, friends. We don't. So I know people will pay for what they really want. But I know another thing about people. Absolutely know another thing about people. And that is that if they don't have to pay for it, they want everything. Why wouldn't I say yes? Let's say that you were buying something, right? And it was a a software product. You're going to download it and install it in your computer. And while you're checking out, it says, Did you know we have these five added features? You can also get software to do these five more things. And each one of those things was fifteen bucks. It's only fifteen bucks, but if you want it to also, you know, slice and dice, you've got to pay another fifteen bucks. You'd probably look at it and you'd probably pick and choose from the list and say, Hey, I don't really need this, this, or this, but yeah, that would be nice. And you might add one feature. But if it said, would you like all these features added for free? What are every damn one of you going to do, right? And there's nothing negative about this. It just shows the inclination of human beings. You would say, I'll take it all. Maybe I'll need it someday. How do, I, how do I know I won't need it, even if you don't? You won't even think about it. you say, yes, I want that, right? And so if you give people everything they ask for in a business, you will literally run yourself out of business, And so the reason I said no to this, and I've said no to this many times, is for everybody that says they want it, nobody seems willing to offer any consideration in return for it. Again, this is not about me making more money. It's about if it's an easy thing, if it's a simple thing, if I can just turn something on and I don't have to constantly worry about it, I don't have an ongoing expense, I don't have an ongoing task that I have to perform, and it's a convenience for people, of course I'll do it. If it costs me money, but it cost me money once and I have to do something once. I'll do it. I'm announcing today that I've added something like that for you guys that want to catch the live feed. So a lot of you say that like the YouTube reminders and all don't work. So what I've done is I bought the domain name. I've registered for like five years. TSPCLive.com. TSPCLive.com. And if you go there, unless we've just finished a stream, as soon as I get the next one set up, you'll see the next coming stream, what time we're going to go live what it's about, and all the links that you can see to do it. This actually does require me to do something for you. It requires me when I'm putting that information out everywhere else to also update that page, which takes me 30 seconds. So I'm willing to do it, and I actually think it will provide value. And since I haven't tried it and have it fail already, there's a good chance that it will. If I find out no one's using it, you know, maybe I don't keep doing it. Or maybe I find some way to make it a little bit more like, hey, go to my my float profile and look for it or something. But as long as people use it, then I have value and I'll keep doing it because it's turn on and off. How does this relate to government? Well, what do you think it says about a person if they want something, but they expect other people to pay for it? What does that say about a person? I want this, but I'm not willing to pay for it but I want somebody else to pay for it. Now, the beauty in a private sector is, you say you want me to add a feature to the podcast. I look at it, I evaluate it, and this is any business, would be the same evaluation, and I say, this is not profitable for me. This consumes time, money, resources, and it does not actually enhance my listener's experience or my customer's experience sufficient that it does anything to further my business. The person that is running a business makes that evaluation accurately, and then continues to do a thing that is a drain on the business and not profitable, is not only a bad business person, they're doing a disservice to their loyal customers because they're putting resources into something that their loyal customers don't really value to serve people who are free riders. But it's a self-correcting process. The business either fails, the business either adapts, or the customers decide it was important and they walk away. That's all fine. But what happens when we add a little bit of government to it? What happens when we get into a situation where the business, which is now the state, or a corporation, a private corporation being prompted up by the state, literally can't fail, and other people demand that other people pay for what they want? And what happens then when we connect that to a spigot that can be turned on and draw money out of the spigot If you're not going to tax it or fee it, right? you can actually turn this micket on and print more money. And the way you steal the money then is all the money that people are already holding through inflation, you suck value out of the old money into the new money. So you have multiple ways to tax. You tax property, you tax income, you tax service and use fees, and you tax the wealth that people are already holding through inflation. Now what happens? Well, now it looks for a while like everybody can have everything that they want. So then what does everybody do? Well, everybody acts like they're buying the software with these five additional features. And they tick the box. Now, imagine you were downloading that software. And it said, is there anything else you'd like this software to do? Well... What do you mean anything? Anything you can come up with. Anything you can dream of that you would like the software to do. Just type it in and hit a button and we'll add it. Well, I, I want it to turn my lights on and off at 8 o'clock in the morning. Okay, fine. It, I, mean, I thought I was buying a piece of software that like enabled me to do things with, that I can't do with Excel or use Excel more quickly, let's say. I can turn my lights on and off? With you. Yeah, I want that. You know what? Can it let my chickens out every day for me? Replace the secure coop product? Yeah, okay. It's free? Yeah, I want that. What wouldn't you want it to do? This little fantasy land, what wouldn't you want it to do? Well, What happens when people actually take the real world and blend it with that fantasy land in their head? They want it to do everything. And then human nature kicks in and realizes, wait, we can't really have everything. And sooner or later, this is going to cost me. So then people pick and choose the things that they value the most, and then they're willing to use force in this crooked system for those things, but not other things. And that leads us to our discussion on the political spectrum. So I'm very interested in this because my guess is most of you are going to say this is very close to what you were taught. But I could be wrong. And I'm going to say if you're probably like over 30, over 35, right... Then you probably definitely were taught this. I have no idea what kids are being taught about political spectrums today. But this is what I taught. I was taught by you know multiple teachers, multiple different history and social studies teachers, the same basic five points that describe the political spectrum. Number one: the right is conservative, and that means they don't want things to change. And when I was an 8th grader or a 9th grader, they didn't use words like regressive and progressive, but that means that the right is regressive. They want to hold things where they are or take them back to the way that they used to be. They don't want things to change. Well, I thought that was pretty stupid because I didn't really know anybody that didn't want anything to change. But that's how it was described to me. And even when I tried to rationalize it in my young teenage brain, well, that means they don't want government laws and regulations to change. And I'm like... Everybody I know wants government and regulations to change. Whether they call themselves a Republican or a Democrat, it doesn't matter. It's a fictitious definition. And probably one of the reasons I stayed open and didn't get fully indoctrinated is I never let go of that one thing, which led to the second thing that we learned on the political spectrum. The left is liberal, meaning they do want things to change, and therefore they're progressive. And I thought, well, it makes sense to me that the left wants things to change. But holding it up isn't as you know the other side, like but this side doesn't. That never made any sense either, and I refuse to let go of it because when something doesn't make sense, I don't let go of it until I can rationalize it or realize it's a lie. The next thing was the extreme right is racist, which is the same as Nazis. And Nazis are Germans that put Jews in concentration camps, right? Okay? And That means the more right you are, the more extreme and racist you are. That's what I was taught. That if I was going to be uh, extremely right, I would end up being a Hitler. And that was the choice. And then the extreme left is communist. Which was, at least back in the 1980s, considered also bad. And that meant the more left you are the more you think should be provided to people by the government. That's the closest thing to truth in all of this. okay? But I think it's also true of the right in many ways that we'll get to here in a second. And then, what we were taught by teaching us these things was that the middle was the place to be. You had the middle, and just to the right of the middle, you had your Republicans, and just to the left of the middle, you had your Democrats. Then, you know, somewhere between your Democrat and your Communist, you had your Socialist. You had different flavors of socialism. And they taught us that England was a perfect example of good socialism, right? Maybe not that we should have it, but England had it, and they weren't a tyranny. And that was great. And I just look at this now, and I just think how tyrannical... Countries that we looked at as benevolent socialism in the 80s have become today, especially with the COVIDs, right? Australia would be an example. England would be an example. Austria would be an example. And that was the basic thing. So we all need to be moderates in the middle. Now, if I think about this, like someone trying to program a society, somebody trying to socially engineer a society, this is brilliant. If I come at this as the systems thinker that I am, the systems designer that designs permaculture systems, and say, I don't want to use my power for evil instead of good, and I want to construct a society that can be easily manipulated. If I push everybody in the middle, and they really believe that their only choices are to move one way or the other from the middle, they're going to move one way or other from the middle. Because no one's going to be able to sit in the middle. Remember when I used to do Miyagi Mornings? walk right side, safe, walk left side, safe, walk in middle, squish, just like grape. You can't sit in the middle. And how do you sit in the middle when the question is, what do we do with gun control? How do you sit in the middle when you do with, should we pay more or less in taxes? How do you sit in the middle? There's absolutely no way to sit in the middle. And every issue that comes up, I propose to you, you can't sit in the middle. What people mean when they say they're centrist, what they really mean is, Whatever I think is the better choice at the time, and I'm subject to changing my mind as the time changes. But all they do is just ping-pong back between that so-called left and right. So what do you get? You get people that actually believe the same thing. It's okay to use force on peaceful people as long as the results are positive and for the greater good, as long as it doesn't cost me personally too much, and as long as I get what I want and nobody takes what I want away from me. So if you don't care about owning guns, you're pretty subject to the concept that maybe somebody else shouldn't either. If you do care about owning guns, you're not. So you're going to fall to one side or the other. And this is perfect because it results in a perfectly divided society that instead focusing on, hey, how much power are we given this monster we call government? We focus on each other. This can't be by coincidence. This did not happen by accident. We were not taught this political spectrum because it's real, because I'm about to show you how unreal it is. So somebody conjured it up for the purpose of controlling a society. And that's why they teach it to you at such a young age. I'm going to give you the actual political spectrum right now. First of all, left and right are meaningless. Left and right are like being out in interstellar space and asking which way is up, down, left, right, or sideways. It's a completely arbitrary concept. I think somebody sat there and probably went, liberal, and we got to do left or right? Liberal, left. Well, right and conservative, don't worry about it. Left and liberal go together. That's just what we're going to go with. Here's what actually happens. you got this meaningless, arbitrary term of left and right. But if you say it long enough, people actually become attached to it. They can't let go. If I tell you I'm left on that issue... And you're a conservative, you're immediately angry. You don't even know what the issue is. I'm serious, like if I have an issue that I side with the left on, the conservative is pissed. Right? It's also meaningless at the point because if you said, give me an issue you side with the left on 25 years ago, I would have said being anti war. Who the hell's anti war anymore? We all just want to argue over what kind of war we should have now, I guess. Right? But they, they, it doesn't really mean anything. You can place the extremes on either side. You could just say that fascists are extreme leftists under this model that they have, and that communists are extreme right. What the hell difference would it make? And then you you flip around your Republicans and your Democrats, right? and your socialists and your libertarians, and you, you have the same explanation. There's literally no reason for left and right to be left and right here. They just made it up. The extreme side of liberty, let's say that is right. Doesn't matter. But let's just say it is. That is anarchism. That is voluntarism. That's the extreme in that side. It's not fascism. Fascism is a totalitarian ideology. A complete totalitarian ideology. Alright? So we have our anarchists, voluntarists, etc. All the way to one extreme. I don't even care what side it is. Next we have our libertarians. And our libertarians go in a gradient They're either extreme minarchists. And I'm not here to say who's right and wrong in this today. I've taken my position. It's okay for you to take a position anywhere on this spectrum because I can't make that decision for you anyway. All I can do is explain my views and let you fall and and figure out who you are. This is like when I explain the difference between atheist and agnostic. It's not to prove that I'm right. It's that you can't use a word like agnostic and not know what it means and have it mean anything. Agnostic does not mean anything about your belief in God. If you're, you can apply agnostic to things other than God, but if you're talking about God and you're saying you're agnostic, you're not saying you don't believe in God. You're saying you don't know if God is real or not. You, you know you don't know. You can believe devoutly and still be agnostic. That's called faith, right? You can be an atheist and agnostic and say I, I don't know that God doesn't. I believe that. So we have to be concrete on what these words mean. So the libertarian, again, can be almost an anarchist, but I think we need this tiny little government for like. Roads and national defense, right? That's, that's kind of the last sticking point in basic protection of property. And then you move from there to the roles that government has. And the more you want government to do, the more you head toward the other extreme. You can take fascism, and you can take communism, and they also have a gradient. How much fascism, how much ca- uh, uh, communism, and how much do you clamp down to get it done And the answer is all the way eventually for everybody. But if you look at fascism and communism, it's just different marketing for the same end. Total control of society. And your Republicans and Democrats are kind of in the same spectrum. And they're somewhere in the middle. That's the actual political spectrum. That's how it actually works. Now as soon as you know that, left and right become meaningless. And you realize you only have one choice. I either side toward liberty... Or I side toward authoritarian tyranny. Now, you can be mad about that. You can be upset about that. You can be angry about that. You can tell me you don't know because somebody created you know, a curriculum and taught it to you to the point where you believed it. And now you can't let go of it. Right? It still doesn't change the way that it is. Here's an example of that that people get really mad about when you correct them on it. They get pissed. The boiling frog analogy. Alright, how many of you heard? Tell me, just put why down in the comments if you're listening to this. If you heard the boiling frog analogy, you know where I'm going. Whether you believe it or not, just put why if you've heard of it and you know what I'm talking about. So anyway, the story of the boiling frog analogy, this is often used to explain why we have to limit government, is you take a frog and you put them in a pot and you turn the heat on really, really low. So it only goes up about one degree every five minutes, let's say. And the frog just sits there. He has no idea what's going on because it's such a gradual increase in temperature. The frog will never try to get out. The frog will never panic. It'll just sit there, and it will die. It's a great analogy. Here's a problem with it. It's a lie. It's not true. It's not how amphibians and reptiles work. They don't work that way at all. If you set up a terrarium to keep a frog in, give him a little water and places to hide and stuff like that, the first thing that you do is you set up what's known as a thermal gradient, meaning you have a warm side of his his housing and a cool side of his housing, and you'll watch that frog, depending on what he wants, since he doesn't have the ability to generate his own heat, since he's cold-blooded, right? He's ectothermic. He'll go to wherever he's most comfortable, just like humans do. Just as a frog, he has a greater need of supplemental heating. He doesn't have an internal thermos like you do. So if you understand biology, you know that's a lie. But yet you tell people it's a lie. They get angry. They get angry and they get mad. Tell a person that, hey, you know what? Putting a goldfish in a smaller container won't limit its size. It'll still get too big for the... They get mad. Well, it doesn't matter how true it is or how many times it's been proved they get mad because they cling to the idea. When you tell people that the political spectrum that they learned is wrong, they get mad. But when you really get a person mad is when you tell them that communism and fascism are the same ideology. Well, they can't handle that, because this is the exact words. He was a very intelligent man, too, and I don't think he was doing this intentionally. I'm not knocking teachers. This is what we've been programmed to believe. His name was Dr. Larsen. He was one of the best teachers I ever had. The way he described it, he said, if you get a communist, and a, let's start off with this. He said, if you get a socialist and a libertarian in a room together, they'll spend a lot of time debating with each other about who's right, and pretty much either side, Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative, they'll start debating ideology. But if you put a communist and a fascist in a room together, they'll try to kill each other. They will fight to the death for their ideology. I don't think he's necessarily wrong. But why wouldn't the two gangsters fight for control of the territory? But people get taught this, and because they're taught this, it becomes ingrained in their belief system And they can't let go. And it becomes very difficult to quote unquote wake somebody up. Or help somebody see what's really going on. When you help somebody see what's really going on, then they're capable, even if they're not, like this is not, hey, join me and become an anarchist today. Any one of you that's close, if this is the thing that pushes you over the fence and makes you realize it's a moral decision, and you do it, great. God bless you, thanks for joining us. If it moves you a little bit, toward more libertarianism, great. If you say, you know what, Jack, you're right, but I'm a freaking Republican or a Democrat, and I'm here in this middle tyranny, I think we need a little yeah, halfway tyranny, I think you're wrong. But at least you are aware of what's going on. That's my goal today. So the way I want you to understand that then, you think, we, like, okay, well, yeah, Jack, I just don't buy into your anarchy crazy talk, you know, that people can make all their own decisions by themselves and... And it's all gonna be okay. Like, um, (laughs) the problem is, even if you believe, even if you believe that using this force is being done for good, and I can I can justify it in my mind, we have to have roads, we have to have hospitals, we have to have schools, we have to have national defense. If you say those are my four pillars, I. We gotta have that. I'm gonna tell you a story. I don't remember the name of the movie. It was probably just called Alligator. I watched this was when, when I was a kid. It was from the 70s because it was on broadcast television in the early 80s, so it had to be from at least the 70s. And it was about this kid that gets an alligator. I don't remember how he gets the alligator, pet store or whatever. You know, he goes and he gets a little baby alligator. He brings the alligator home instead of like. Going Because this is New York City, right? So instead of going down south where alligators belong and setting it free and putting an alligator where it belongs, he's taking care of the alligator and he's feeding the alligator. Well, eventually his parents figure out he's feeding the alligator. And the alligator's gotten a little bit bigger now. It's starting to grow, but it's still pretty small. So instead of like cutting the head off the alligator, finding a zoo to contain the alligator, or taking the alligator to a native habitat that it can survive in, because if you let it go in the Hudson River, it's going to freeze to death in the winter. They come up with an idea. Let's just get rid of the alligator. So they took the little monster, and they cared for it to a certain point, and then they said, this is as far as we want the monster to grow. So the solution, instead of killing the monster, was put the monster in a toilet bowl, and you guessed it, flush. And I remember, the one thing I really remember about this movie was the, the image of this little gator like surfing along through the, the flow of the sewer pipes and dropping down and ending up in the bottom of the sewer. And you think, okay, well, he might be alive now, but he's going to die. And a mouse runs by. And the little alligator grabs a little mouse and kills it and eats it. And he starts living on mice and rats. And there's plenty of mice and rats and alley cats and stuff like that down in the sewer. Well, this alligator is now living in a place where it has unlimited food, And it never gets too cold for it to survive down in the sewer. Now, this is a little bit of fiction. I don't think an alligator could survive down there. But it's a good analogy. Just like the frog. And the alligator grows into this giant alligator. Like the biggest alligator ever. And, of course, the alligator comes out of the sewer and terrorizes New York. And they eventually have to get rid of the alligator and kill the alligator. And the movie ends with another family flushing another alligator down into the sewer. Hopefully, I guess they were thinking, even though this is a B-movie, maybe we'll get a sequel out of it. I don't think they ever did. And uh, Verk Alfer says he's seen it. This is a, it's an old movie, but it was it was good for the time that it was in. So here's my question for you. If you can justify what you want government to do by we need at least this, how do you prevent that government, that baby alligator, from turning into the giant Nile crocodile monster? The size of some prehistoric beast that eats everything. And I know what you're going to say, my constitution, your constitution has absolutely failed to do that. We have one of the largest overreaching governments in the world right now. And looking at somebody like China and saying, but they're worse doesn't change that we are pro- We they may be worse in what they do, but we're far bigger and more powerful than they are in what we could do. And if you can do something and you're in power, when you need it, eventually you will. Our government could be more oppressive than China's government tomorrow, Constitution be damned. Want me to prove it to you? If the Constitution doesn't limit the President of the United States, it doesn't limit the government. This is not a comment on illegal immigration, whether we should have it or not. In my system, you know, maybe someday I'll actually seriously run for president and say, if we're going to have this shit, here's how I'd fix it. But I would do things like, you know, you come here, you didn't know welfare whatsoever. Neither do your kids. You're the one that brought them here. Uh, you'll never be a citizen and you don't get to vote ever. Your kids will, if they grow up and stay their ass out of prison. And since they're never going to be on welfare, at least until they're adults. And then if they qualified or whatever's left, because I'm going to decimate that too, we'll get to it. this is not a comment on that, but we do have a law that says you're not supposed to come here illegally. And it is certainly illegal to aid an illegal alien traveling through the United States. And we have the President of the United States issuing directives that have illegal aliens being placed on planes and flown all over the country. I don't care if you think that's good or bad. It's still illegal. And if the President can flaunt the Constitution and get away with it, and he can because he is, then what meaning is there to this rule of law concept? It's completely meaningless and arbitrary, except that it's not, except that it's far worse. When you get a system like we have now, the illusion of the rule of law, now you get a real problem. It'd be one thing if there was no law, and people had to sort shit out for themselves, or there was a law that even if we didn't like it, it was even-handedly enforced. When the law can be used to the advantage of those in power and their friends, their allies, and their cohorts and to the disadvantage of everybody that falls outside of that group. Now you have true tyranny. Now you have true tyranny, because the the rules for thee, but not for me, do not just apply to the covades. If you did what the President of the United States is doing right now, and you did it maybe for the wrong group of illegal aliens, you would go to federal prison probably for the rest of your life. So we have not limited the growth of the alligator. The alligator has gone far past becoming a Nile Crocodile, and is more akin to some sort of genetically enhanced Tyrannosaurus Rex. You're looking at something the five times the size of T-Rex with the intelligence and capabilities and maliciousness of a Velociraptor. You have a, a turbocharged, super-bohemous Velociraptor for a government. And the way this fits into how people fall into this political spectrum is I'm going to start asking you some questions. Okay? What are you willing to use force on peaceful people to obtain? And before you say nothing, if you don't already classify yourself as an anarchist, I'm going to tell you that you're wrong. And if you say you're right, if you say, I will not use force on anybody for anything if they are peaceful people to get what I want, I refuse. To use force, then you, whether you've accepted or not, you are an anarchist in your heart, you're making that moral decision. You just can't figure out how yet. Look, guys, if that's what's holding you back, we have lots of time to figure out how. It's probably not going to happen in our lifetimes. But the more people we move this direction, the better we get. Tuger says, depends on how desperate I am. At least that's an honest answer. Um, And John says, I'm an anarchist, so nothing. Then I'll take you at your word. All right. What about this? Are you willing to use force on people? For roads and schools. Are you? Yes or no? If you're okay with tax dollars, paying for education and transportation, the answer is you are. I don't care if you don't like that. I don't care if it goes against your grain. Maybe that's good. Maybe then we're exposing that cancer within you. That's your cognitive dissonance. Let's let's talk about this before we go through this list because I think this will be a good way to really understand why I put this list together. People think cognitive dissonance is only one thing. I believe A, you believe B, you give me conclusive proof that B is true and A is false, and I can't accept it even though your proof is overwhelming. That is cognitive dissonance. That's one flavor. The other flavor, though, is when you know something is wrong in your heart and your soul but you behave counter to it because you think you have to. And you live incongruent with your own belief system. And it can make you a dick. It can make you an asshole to people. Here's an example. Very, very moderate example. Very minor example. Remember when you were in school? You know, if you were the kind of person that ever procrastinated and they gave you a big assignment, you had like a month to do it. One week away from due date, you haven't even started yet. And you know you should, but your friends want to go out, so you go out You party, hang out, play video games, whatever it was you did back then. And you get another day closer. And all of a sudden you start becoming really edgy and irritable and you start being like snapping at people for no good reason. And you think it's just, well, this person's being a dick or I'm under stress or whatever. What it is is you know what you should have done and you didn't do it. And you you know in your heart and your soul that you are not being congruent with what your beliefs are. That's also a form of cognitive dissonance. So as I go through this list... If you're like, yes, we need that, and yes, this has to be done by government, and I say, well, then you're willing to use force on peaceful people to acquire it, and you don't like it, it's not because it's not true. It's because your morals are conflicting with your beliefs and your actions. Okay? That's what it means. So next, what about security of personal property? Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're trying to get around this. I'm not going to let you. That's why I put this list together. It was a very very thought-out list that I put together. I just randomly throw this shit up here. You might think, well, it's okay to use force to secure my personal property. That's not what I asked you. Are you willing to use force on a peaceful person so that you will have security of your personal property? This doesn't mean if somebody comes into your house, are you willing to put a gun in their head and tell them to get out or pull the trigger if you have to. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying... In order to have your property policed against people that are not peaceful, are you willing to take from people who are peaceful to have that? Many of you are. I'm not here to tell you you're wrong today. I'm just here to tell you that's what you're doing. And don't ever think it's not what you're doing. Just because someone else applies the force, the theft and extortion we call taxation, just because somebody else provides that force, if you're okay with it being applied... It's force by proxy, and it's no different than, I didn't shoot the guy, I just paid the guy to shoot him. It's the same thing. So are you willing to use force on peaceful people to have security of personal property? Many small government people, I just hit their big ones. They're like, if government would do that, okay, great. How about this, though? Are you willing to use force on peaceful people to provide yourself with a retirement account? Are you willing to use force on see and, and Jasmine saying um, right now before we go forward not up not on a peaceful person but if they escalate I'm willing to use force I don't know if you maybe came in just now that's not the question that's not the question are you willing to use force on a peaceful person so that someone else will deal with the person that's aggressing upon you and pay for their services got you all right so a retirement account. Who here is willing to allow someone to go out and force someone else who's peaceful and not bothering them to spend their own money, right, to fund your 401k? Is it okay? Is it okay if somebody goes up and down the road and makes people put money into your 401k account on your behalf? And if you say no then we should immediately get rid of Social Security. This is exactly what it is. But I'm getting my money back, Jack. No, you're not. No, you're not. Your money is being taken from you to pay the last generation. It's a Ponzi scheme. We're not going to go in it today. But if you're okay with Social Security, you're okay using force on peaceful people to provide a retirement account. Next up, defense from a foreign government invading. That would be having a Department of Defense an Army, a Navy, an Air Force, and a Marine Corps. This is going to hit a lot of you people because I know a lot of you, like me, you're veterans, you served, and you know that most of those who serve are very, very noble people. At least they are when they go in. It's why they go in. Military service has a way of changing you, not always for the better. But people sacrifice of themselves to join the military. We're not asking you that, whether they're noble or even if the service is good and necessary. I'm asking you, is it okay to go take money from peaceful people who don't want to give it to you, to take their rightfully acquired property away from them in order to provide yourself, your fellow Americans, with national defense? That's also something that most libertarians are okay with. They're not okay with the military-industrial complex we have. But a defensive military, oh yeah, we need that. But didn't everybody here tell me that if you needed, wanted, and valued something that you would be willing to pay for it? Keep that in mind as we go through this and you're going, I don't know how we would do this. What about a health care plan? Are you willing to use force and aggression on peaceful people to provide yourself with a health care plan? Would you be? I'm not. But if you're pro-Medicaid and Medicare, just because it only is provided to certain people and it's not for you personally, and if you're like, well, I'm willing to pay my part so that people that have less or older people can have you know some of their medical care taken care of. Well, then you value it enough to pay for it. I asked you if you're willing to use force on peaceful people to provide it to yourself and others against their will. Really? This is, this is government. Ron Sandam Jack got me thinking now. I want you to think. This is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. It's exactly what we're doing. What about, are you willing to use force on peaceful people for the stability of a fiat currency issued by private banks? That's a hard one. It's a lot of big words. Are you willing to use force on peaceful people to ensure the stability of the United States currency? Let's not even worry about how it's created right now. We'll let that go for a minute. Are you willing to use force on peaceful people, not bothering anybody, to enforce the stability of the dollar? No? What do you think the main purpose of our military is? Do you think the main purpose of our military is to defend our shores and borders? We have almost no military presence whatsoever anywhere near our shores and borders. You know what the United States Blue Water Navy does? Ensures that the dollar stays valuable. That's what it does. I'm sorry. What does all this resistance to cryptocurrency, what's it, the real purpose of it? Ensure the stability of the dollar. Your, your, your orange man hero, Trump, even said so. I prefer the good old U.S. dollar. Boomer is fuck, huh? So are you willing to use force on people, peaceful people to ensure the stability of a currency? Or do you think currencies should stand up and be currencies based on the value people actually have in them? Which one? How about this? The ability to force people thousands of miles away to do what you want them to do or to not do what you don't want them to do. Are you willing to use force on peaceful people here? Your neighbors. Have somebody extort them for money. So that somebody else can go 5,000 miles away to stop another country from doing something you don't want them to do or to make them do a thing that you do want them to do. Again, I'm back to what do you think the purpose of our military is. I'll I'll give anybody here $500 if you can show me any nation that's dropped, not total bombs, because we'd win that, that's easy. Like Show me any nation that between 1,900 and today dropped at least one bomb on more nations than the united states go ahead 500 bucks and i'll give it to you in cash bitcoin or ethereum you can pick any one of the three if you can show me that a nation other than a nation between 1900 and 2022 dropped at least one bomb on more nations total than the united states did my money's safe Oh, by the way, if you take the bet, you got to pay me. So be sure before you take the bet. Okay? Um, how about to obtain natural resources from other nations? So if we want oil or coal or palladium or rare earth metals from another nation. And there's something, maybe it's not even an invasion of military, something like that. Maybe there's some sort of leverage that we need to place. Maybe what we need to do is we need to go to this other nation and be like, hey, tell you what, we'll give you like $30 billion in aid over the next 10 years, but we want access to your rare earth earth metals, right? You know what? That's actually commerce. That part of the deal in of itself, if it's just that, which it never is, it's not so bad. You're basically buying access to material. That's the free market, except it's not because, first of all, who owns the material should be the people in that place that we call geographically a nation, not maybe one dictator that has the power to do it on their behalf without their consideration. But where'd the $30 billion come from? You, me, our grandchildren, whatever. Well, how do they get it? Through force. So if you're okay when we go into another nation and we make a deal, even using soft power, as they call it, to acquire natural resources that we're going to bring home because it benefits you, what you're saying, and again, I'm not telling you you're wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe anarchism can't work. right? I don't believe that, but maybe it can't. I'll give you that today so that we have this discussion instead of an argument. It's fine if you believe that, because I can't change what you believe anyway. But what you're saying is you're okay with the United States government if I refuse to give up my property that I've rightfully earned, puts a gun to my head and makes me do it so that you can have the benefit of that. That's what you're saying. Could be copper. Could be anything. Somebody's saying copper. It doesn't matter. I'm simply asking, are you okay using force on peaceful people to acquire natural resources from some other part of the world so that you can have what you want? Because that's what government does. It gives you what you want, whether you realize it or not. Um, are you willing to use force on peaceful people for the ability to silence a voice you don't want to be heard i.e. censor. boy and I know I've got a lot of free speech minded people here but do you think there's some speech that should be silenced I actually think there's some speech that should be silenced by the person that doesn't want to hear it I have the ability to listen to you or not listen to you if we're talking about electronic means I have the ability to not read what you wrote to block you to whatever I don't have a problem with choosing not to hear a message. Every person here is only here because you chose to show up today. You didn't have to. No one made you. I have a problem when somebody says, you're not allowed to hear me or I'm not allowed to speak. But a lot of what's done around the world is done to silence voices and silence opposition. Let's say that you really believe the jab works. We have people that we're not talking about social media here. We have doctors and researchers saying there's a problem with this. They're in the system. They're trying to fight from inside the system like some of you think. And then people like Fauci use their control over grant money and their influence to destroy that person's reputation and cut them off from any research funding or grants in the future and silence them. And where does that $6 billion a year he gets come from that he controls and wields that power with? It comes from you and me. It's taken from us. But if you think that's good, then that's what you're saying. And you can come up with a hundred different ways that voices are silenced. What about to force people who do not wish to associate to associate with one another? Is it okay to steal from peaceful people to force other groups of people who don't want to be involved with each other to be together? You know, we'll go into I think it was seen as a way to fight racism here, and I can tell you it didn't work because I lived through it. Bussing children. When I went to school, this is the early 80s now. We're talking when I lived in Jacksonville, Florida. We still had busing. And it was mostly black kids that were bused into the school that I went to. We had plenty of kids that we lived around that were black and went to the school with us. It wasn't really about race. It was about these poor kids were shoved on a bus against their will, they spent about three to three and a half hours a day on that bus because of the ride in and the ride home. Then they were not surrounded by all their friends. They were only in the group that they were forced together with and sent and then forced to integrate because it made people feel better. Now, maybe you don't want that. So you'd say, well, I'm... And the reason I brought it up is most people today realize that was probably stupid. That, In, in spite of, you know, Kamala Harris's fake little fake story that she told about her waiting to be bused. And she wanted her feed them, and it was all bullshit because she's a daughter of rich fucking parents. Doesn't really matter. Most people know better that that's probably not a good thing to do to kids. I guess maybe they don't, since they think it's okay to cram them in a mask for nine hours a day, and ignore like social and physical development and and all the other things that go with it, psychological development. Maybe they haven't learned. I thought most people had. I thought I'd be going. But what about any other forced integration? Is it wrong? Can you think of any time where maybe people should get together, even if they should? Should it be done by making a good case for it? Or should it be done by, even if you did it by making a good case, let's say you created a a fairly benign looking thing, some sort of council, some sort of organization that got together and said, hey, how can we get people more integrated? And they didn't use any force directly. And they actually did a pretty good job. They set up some civic centers and things like that. They started getting people to voluntarily come in. They got the Crips and the Bloods together and they realized that they weren't that different. Whatever it is for you, right? But it was all funded by stealing money through the use of force or implied force. Is that okay? Even though it worked out okay. If so, what you're saying is you're okay using force on peaceful people to help other people integrate even if they didn't really want to in the first place. Because the ends justify the means. That's what all this is about. Think about the kind of people that always say that. They're never the good guys, folks. What about to force someone to take a substance? Or to force somebody not to take or possess a substance? Are you okay with that? Using force? taking. Let's say you don't think anybody should smoke pot. About the most benign... Somewhat still illegal drug that exists, right? So you don't think you really think it's wrong? You really think that society would be better if nobody smoked pot? Fine, I'm not going to argue with that today. But do you think it's okay then for your neighbors to be robbed of their money to provide for police to go out and enforce what you want on others? Yes or no? And if you say yes, then you're okay using force on peaceful people to prevent somebody from doing something you don't want them to do. And you're putting people in the middle. And see, Rick here is having some trouble with this. Only if they're my children. You're trying to create an out for yourself. Are you okay, Rick, listening to me right now, it's for your children, but it's being funded by taking somebody else's money to provide that your children not smoke pot. Don't try to get around this with where you're willing to use force or where you're willing to spend money personally. I'm asking you if you're okay with collectively stealing wealth to provide a service that every damn one of you told me at the beginning of this, what? People will pay for what they need and value. So here's my question. Here's my question. If there's any of these things that you really can't figure out yet, and there's plenty to figure out because we haven't really tried, I still want to know if you think we need a government to do it. My final question is, how, how, friends, is it possible that we will ever prevent the baby alligator? The smallest, most limited government probably created in a thousand years was the original government of the United States, and not our constitutional government either under the Articles of Confederation it was probably the most limited government that ever existed under the Articles of Confederation and the Constitutional Republic formed as they dissolved that government was, it has to be the second most limited government to exist in the last thousand years there was truly a real government, a true state look what it's become tell me it's not a sewer monster and this is the trap Write any document you want. Create any contract with government that you want. Make any amendment that you want. Limit any power that you choose to. But create a state. And you have a baby alligator. It will eat a mouse. And it will get a little bit bigger. And it will eat a rat. And it will get a little bit bigger. Then it will eat a squirrel or a cat. And it will get a little bit bigger. It'll start eating dogs and deer, turtles, maybe other alligators. That's what war is, alligators eating alligators. Eventually it'll start eating deer and people. And anything it can get its jaws around. It will eat, it will consume, and it will grow. And at least in nature, there's a limit to how long that alligator can live. There's a limit to how big that alligator can get. And there are restrictions on where that alligator can go. With government, there's no restriction on life expectancy. Unless the people dissolve the government, the government can exist in perpetuity. There are governments around today that have essentially existed. They've evolved, they've changed, but the same government has existed for thousands of years. They have no limit to where they can go. If there's another country that says they're not welcome, if they get big enough and powerful enough, the alligator eats the alligator. It's called an invasion. There's no limit to their power, no matter how much you think it's limited, because they'll just keep eating rats and mice until they're big enough to eat dogs and cats. And they'll eat dogs and cats until they're big enough to eat people. There is no stopping the state from growing. There's curtailing growth for a time, there's transforming a form of government and creating a setback. But the march of the state is endless and relentless and forever. Because only people who crave power will seek power in government. Only those who crave power. And this is the thing that you have to understand. And I learned this not just from dealing with people that are statist and dealing from people in bureaucracy and in politics... But dealing with corporations as well, when you ask people if they think we need regulation, they always say yes, 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 we need regulations, we need regulations. But then every single one of those people, if they have any power, whether that be to control your phone service as a corporation or your communications as a social media platform or to surveil the people of the United States like the NSA, or to surveil the people of the world like the CIA and overthrow governments. No matter where you fall in that spectrum with people, they always say we need regulation, but they always see the regulations that apply to them as a problem. We can't do our job because of these restrictions. So then it's natural to use whatever power, status, judici you have to get around those regulations. So I know what some of you are thinking. We just need more regulation, more control, more restriction. Well, here's what happens. Let's say we're going to restrict a corporation and we're going to create a governing body that's going to oversee them in the public space. Now, I already asked you if you're okay with stealing from peaceful people to provide it. Let's assume you said yes and you think this can work this time. I know we'll set up something like, I don't know, Food and Drug Administration to make sure that people aren't putting bad medicine out there. And so the government will steal some money and they will use it to build this department. And the department, like any bacteria, will begin to multiply and grow. And it will get to a point where it starts asking for more money from government. It will create crises that need to be funded so it can get more money from government. It will finagle and work and use nepotism to, to, to make partnerships within government to get more money from government. It will go and make deals with private corporations and public-private partnerships and give them no-bid contracts. To bring in revenue. And then they'll say to the government, look how good we've done daddy government. We're baby government. We want some more money. And then they'll come up with regulatory schemes. Hey, since we're doing all the work to regulate these entities, they should pay for our service. That's like running government like a business. That's great. Okay, let's see where that goes. So if you're slaughtering chickens... You have to pay for a full-time employee to sit in a desk at your facility. If you're issuing drugs, you share patents with NIH or what have you. And what happens is over time, as these bureaucracies grow into this bloated monstrosity, most of their funding actually starts to come from, or a significant portion of their funding comes from, the very people they're supposed to regulate. That's called regulatory capture. There's actually a word for it because it's that common that we made a word for it. So what you end up with is the, the regulatory bodies that are supposed to oversee the pharmaceutical industry are beholden to the pharmaceutical industry for much of their funding. Hmm, I wonder how stringently they're going to regulate them now. And you can go into that and go into agriculture, you can go into communications, you can keep going. Because you live in a government that is best described, despite that political spectrum we went through, that all Nazis were fascists and all fascists were Nazis and all fascists were essentially Hitlers, and you don't see any, well not many, concentration camps anyway. You don't see no furnaces burning people or anything directly. It's hard to believe you live in a fascist economy. But that's what you live in. The entire method of control with fascism is public private partnerships. It is the co uh, mingling of government and private entities. Communism just means that the government controls everything and the private companies do what they're told. And fascism just means that they, they talk about it a little bit more before they do it. And the reality is, most communist states are actually fascist states anyway. They just brand themselves differently. Because in the end, you know, if you think that. There weren't any big businesses in the Soviet Union before the, the, the fall of the Soviet Union, the breakup of the Soviet Union. I I, I I encourage you to look up Arm and Hammer and not the people that make baking soda. Just saying. okay. So that's where we're at, guys. And uh, at this point, I'm going to wrap up today. I'm going to keep this one rated just a little bit over an hour, and I'll have the audio one out soon. I'm not going to do a lot of... Uh, Talking uh, back and forth with you guys today, I got some stuff going on here today that I need to take care of, so I hope you guys are okay with that. But I do appreciate you for being here today. And again, I'm I'm not evangelizing anarchism today. I'm really not. If I if I was evangelizing anarchism today, I would have given you reasons to become an anarchist. Okay. The only thing I did today, for many of you, not all of you, because many of you already know is revealed to you who you are and what your choices mean and what you're saying when you say things like but we have to have okay? but this is what you mean when you say that you mean that this is so important and I believe so strongly that even though we absolutely need this that not enough people would pay for it to have it if we didn't force people to pay for it to have it and here's my thing This is the only way I can be genuine with you today. You might be right. You might be right. I just don't believe that you are. But all I'm asking you is to be honest with yourself about what you're saying. With that, thanks for tuning in today. I will catch you guys tomorrow. We have a great interview tomorrow, Wavehead, many of you know from Discord and uh, uh, Telegram, etc., is going to be on, and we're going to be talking about NFTs, and I have some questions about NFTs I can't answer, but I think he can, and we'll catch you tomorrow with that one. Well, I I really enjoyed doing that episode. I really enjoyed seeing the chat during that episode and how people were reacting to it. I enjoyed seeing how people were trying to wiggle out of the question, well, I'll use force if they're coming to use force, and that was never the question. And uh, it's one of the reasons I like doing the live feed, guys, because I realize if if, if what I'm saying maybe is being misunderstood or being resisted in a way and I need to push a little harder or if I'm pushing too hard, I need to back off. If you want to be part of these feeds, one of the great things you can do is get over to thesurvivalpodcast.com. Every episode has all my social media stuff in it. Follow me on any of the social media platforms, and you'll usually get an alert at least every day. Um, and then the Telegram channel is the best way because you're going to get a text message right on your phone saying what time it's going to be today. If we're, Not every episode has a live feed, but if we're doing one. I'll let you know, including impromptu live feeds, like the one I did last week about chicken genetics, right? So like, that's a great way to stay in touch with everything that we're doing. Get on the email list, that way you'll know anything cool that happens. But, as I said during the, uh, the presentation there, we have a new feature available to you, to you guys. TSPClive.com. It's not TSPlive.com because somebody already owns that domain. But tspclive.com was available. So what I did, I bought that domain. And just like I do with tspas I just pointed it to a tab on my website. And every day when I set up a, a new live feed, I just take all the information that goes out and all the other services, and I just change that page. It takes me 30 seconds to do it. And so it's easy for me to do. Setting it up was a one-time thing and a one-time expense. And that way, from now on, if you're ever wondering, well, what time does Jack go live today and what's he talking about? Just go to tspclive.com. Or if you see me post somewhere where it's like you can't use the links or whatever, like Instagram or something like that, you know that you can find out everything about that new presentation just by going to tspclive.com. If you get there and you see that the post that's there is for the one we just did, it just means I haven't updated it yet. All right. With that, let's go ahead and uh, wrap things up. Let me remind you, if you do like the show and the work that we do, I mentioned that other short domain, Tspaz.com, T S P A Z T Spaz.com. Go there, you'll find all of the products that I recommend, all of the products that I've reviewed. And remember, if you see it there, I don't just recommend it. I didn't just review it. I own it. I spent my own money on it, and I would spend it again if I needed another one in that category. There are a couple items on there that were provided to me. Those are disclosed. I think there's three out of over four hundred items in the T catalog that I that I you know, I took the product in return for the review, and every time I've done that, I'm like, if it sucks, I'm either not going to review it or I'm going to say it sucks. It's going to be up to you. Anyway, um, today's item of the day is the LizQ, L-I-Z-Z-Q, premium pellet smoker tube. I found a really great one about a year ago I loved, made by a company called Cave Tools, and it's a little bit better than this one, but it's also been sold out for like 18 months now. I think the supply, sh- the supply shortage uh, killed the product off. Uh, this was the next best one I could find, and it's it's really just as good. It's a little less capacity. Um, but if you want a pellet smoker tube to, to, to smoke meat on your grill, and you can cold smoke or you can hot smoke, you can warm smoke, you can do anything you want. You set your grill for the temperature, including not on at all, and you can cold smoke, you can do a low and slow smoke, you can do a hot and a high smoke, it's up to you. You just don't put the smoker tube over the flame, because then you burn up the pellets, right? It'll work for all of that. And if you just want one, you can go to Amazon and you can search for pellet smoker tube and you'll find hundreds of them literally. And you find a lot that are about five bucks less than this one. So, why this one? Because it's not built like a piece of shit. You want me to be blunt? Because the other ones are garbage. The other ones are junk. I've bought them. They warp, they bend, they, 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 they basically, you know, they, they're so thin that they weaken from the heat and then they fall apart. And I don't believe in buying super cheap unless it's the only thing I can get to do what I want. And when we're talking about fifteen versus ten bucks, I don't do the Excel spreadsheet anymore, guys. Right? The better product is the one that I buy. And I I went through a lot of different ones. I actually tested, like, not even really used them much. I I've ordered some that had good reviews. Took it out of the box, pushed my thumb on it, and when it went boing boing boing, I put it back in the box and did a return, return slip. I did two that I did that with. I got this one. I'm like, if I can beat somebody about the head with it, knock them out, and it'll still work, it's good. That's what this is. It can be used as a small impact tool if you need it. And uh, it does a great job. You can read my full review on it at tspaz.com or just go to thesurvivalpodcast.com. Scroll down. You'll always find the most current reviews, and you can help me out no matter what you buy as long as you start your shopping at tspaz.com. The other way to help me out, become a member of the MSB. That's the Member Support Brigade. Get a bunch of discounts, like the Start 9 server one I talked about at the beginning of the show today. Tons of great discounts in there. CBD, you name it. Check, seeds, plants, tactical stuff, food. we got discounts on just about anything that a prepper would want or a homesteader would want. Check it out today. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on Members to learn more. With that, let's wrap things up. Thanks for tuning in today. Remember, this show grows when you share it with others. With that, it's been Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. They pull yourself up. They keep bringing you down. Are they going to bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way we forget we are what we eat I don't know the answer it's like there's nothing I can do it's the price we pay I guess we